0: howdy everybody and welcome to another bp movie journal the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these i'm david i'm tyler and uh yeah my uh My 2021 of watching very few movies continues. I am very busy, uh, mostly with work, but also I took my first ever vacation. First ever? I mean, since the pandemic, I mean, like I literally used a vacation day for the first time since February of 2020, used three vacation days um, to go for a long weekend, uh, and see my family, my mom, my siblings, their spouses, all their many, many children, uh, which I had not seen any of them since before the pandemic. Mm. Um, obviously I wasn't able to watch any movies during that period, but that's a worthy trade-off. It was really great to, to get to see my family again. Uh, really great to become reacquainted with how much I despise air travel again. Sure. Um, (laughs) Uh, yeah, but, uh, so that's part of the, I, I, feel like I have to make excuses for why we haven't done one of these in three weeks and I have three movies to talk about. I am watching one movie a week. That is my average now. Whereas I used to try to watch a movie a day, <laughs> one a week is, is the best, the best I can do these days. You'll get back
1: on track. It's going to, I don't know.
0: I don't know if I will at this point. Mm.
1: Yeah. I have seen a f- I've seen four movies. Granted, there are some rewatches that I'm not incorporating here. um, But also there came a very specific moment last week when I looked at how, how far I've gotten in editing this documentary and the deadline I've given myself. And I realized, uh Oh, I have made some bad choices. Um, Time management, as you know, has (laughs) never been, has never been my, uh, my strong seat.
0: You're like the person at the protest who has the sign that says <laughs> defund the pull," And then like, yeah. oh, like yes.
1: <laughs> that has always been, yes. There are so many things of me as uh, that I made as a kid where it's just like, Oh no. But I always, I would always just, you know, resources be damned. I would always just like, once I realized that had happened, I would just start over. Right. Turns out you can't do that with time. Yeah, so, that's, uh, that's true. so yeah, it's, uh, so I only have, uh, yeah. you're not maybe from, uh, out of this world, <laughs> you know, every once in a while I look for I, th- maybe because I'm, I'm a teacher now and I'm teaching people that are just many years younger than we are, but I'm just perpetually aware of like whenever someone my age makes a reference that's very specific to my age. And I think you've done it, David. I think you really, I think you did it. Um, yeah. Cause, yeah. cause Jen was talking about that show like a week ago. She really? Says, I, yeah. She said, I wish I could just touch my fingers together and pause time so that I could go and do these other things and not have time go by. And, uh, it would And also, that that I wish my really- dad
0: was an alien voice by Burt Reynolds. That's what she said. <laughs> Right? Yes,
1: absolutely. <laughs> she lo- she loves Burt Reynolds. Uh but just evening shade. She really loved evening shade. Um, but uh there's another reference that's probably unique to to our age, yeah. or maybe a little bit older. It's more for uh I was gonna say it's more for grown ups than I remember. we're grown ups. Yeah. Um okay You you are an old soul though. Uh that is probably true, yes. Yeah. Um okay David yeah, speaking what did you watch? speaking of things that we grew up with, here's a movie I've not seen in I'm gonna say tw- 28 years
0: like when Hold it on. first came out let me do okay so you are 39
1: yes so since you were 11 yes okay. and it was a new movie at the time so it's 90 i want to say 93
0: 93 new movie
1: okay new movie from 93 did you watch demolition man i think that's later than 93 but no i didn't Okay. It might be ninety three, but for some reason, I thought that was like ninety five. Did you watch the Bridget Fonda vehicle Point of No Return? That's the one. (laughs) Um, I'd seen it so many times when I was eleven, so I felt like I didn't need to see it for a while. Um, Is that actually the name of the
0: movie I'm thinking of? And is it from ninety three? I don't know if it's ninety three, but that's yeah, ninety three. Bridget Fonda, Point of No Return, directed by John Badham. Never know that. All
1: right um no the movie that i watched david is a film that we that i know you love and i remember liking it even though i hadn't seen it since i was a kid and there are so many more things that i love about it now it is joe dante's matinee oh yeah
0: man Uh, i um again talking about us being old i was going to say i saw this recently it was probably close to a decade ago but um uh front of the show ian brill and i went to a matinee of matinee at the I new S- beverly that was the last time i saw man
1: i l- love it i mean i liked it when i was a kid i just i for whatever reason i mean there was so much silliness and it's just that joe dante energy um that i just really responded to it but i you know i didn't know who william castle was i didn't know a, a lot of these references yeah. um looking at it now It's very funny, but it is also in a way that I choked up. It is such a love letter to movies Mm. and art and the role they can play in the midst of a difficult time, whether it be on a national level or a personal level. The idea that in times of uncertainty, the idea that art, which so many people would consider to be an unnecessary luxury of life, when you see how vital uh, a role it can play in keeping people, I don't know, keeping people sane, even something as sensationalistic, maybe especially something as sensationalistic as Mant, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, or, or superhero movies or whatever it is, these movies that even movie people would say are the essence of disposable. Uh, those can really play a huge role in our lives. And, and matinee is just such a, while, while never uh, sacrificing an ounce of entertainment and humor, uh, it still manages to be about something so much bigger than it would first appear. And, man like it in my view it deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as once upon a time in hollywood and ed wood and that sort of thing it is such a it's such a wonderful film about film that um man uh, it's uh, i cannot state enough how marvelous this movie is and i do think that most i feel like most people are aware of it certainly joe dante has a fan base and i'm sure many yeah. of those many of his fans have seen it but uh but listener if you have not seen matinee check it do yourself a favor and check it out you will probably i guarantee you'll love it
0: uh it's also got uh of course joe dante regular robert ricardo and dick miller are both in it of course yes uh, and i think it is the american film premiere of naomi watts
1: um I did. I recognized her in it. And then I thought like, I mean, this, she can't have been in much before this. Yeah. The 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 first thing
0: I, yeah. The first thing I remember her in is tank girl, which is two years later, Yeah. but I'm looking at her now. She, I've seen flirting since that's an, that's an Australian movie. And then there's a movie called Leo's or sorry, a movie called for love alone, where she played Leo's girlfriend. And that's probably an Australian movie, right? Sure. Uh, Yes, it is an Australian movie. And then there's some TV. So yeah, I think this is the first, american film of the great naomi watts yes all right uh moving on from your actual mid-90s to jonah hill's mid-90s a mm-hmm. movie that i uh missed when it came out in in 2018 uh, Even though i heard heard good things about um but uh we were very much not only were we very much encouraged to watch it by our teenaged nephew um, on, on her, her Natalie sister's uh, son, who's a skateboarder and who, uh, loves mid nineties. It's like his favorite movie. And he insisted that we, that we watch it. So we decided let's, let's, let's take his advice. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, Mm. it's, uh, uh, I mean, I, it's obviously there's some, you know, Jonah Hill, probably has uh, uh it's probably somewhat semi like autobiographical sure but um uh so i i can't you know I, I can't speak to those kind of specifics but the 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 specifics of being um uh that age at that time and being i guess i'm gonna get my own semi-autobiographical like projections like being a quote-unquote like good kid or like, you know, uh, good at school or whatever I was when I was younger, but having a desire to be accepted by, you know, the bad kids, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, essentially, um, I very much related, uh, to that, but I, I, I like a coming of age story that actually feels like, um, it's taking the kids point of view i feel like so many coming of age stories make the kids like precocious or take the parents point of view especially when it's like a coming of age story where it's like kids behaving badly you know like Mm. i was never a fan of like 13 you know the captain hardwick movie because it seemed like it was essentially like it was made for parents to be like to freak them out about what your kids might be up to whereas mid 90s actually seems like it's from the kids point of view so when things are happening that are like super like oh that's not okay that kid is too young for this sexual situation or he is getting in a car with a drunk older boy or like things like that sorry excuse me um i'm sitting there watching it and i know like i have that tension but i'm also very much with the kid at the time i also understand why he is excited to do this or he doesn't think this is a bad situation or if he does why he might feel pressured to go along with it anyway there's there's a uh a, a lot of i guess uh sympathy and subjectivity uh to it it's also wall-to-wall awesome music just great sure
1: great music um uh so obviously i mean it's from the 90s so obviously like nirvana smells like teen spirit i'm sure is there sure yeah um he, he, you know just he, all, he the, hit, all the hits
0: he skateboards around listening to Blind Melon and Rush <laughs> the Bruce. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, hip-hop and, and, and punk, um, which is probably yeah, appropriate for the age. You've also got, um, I forget, I'm already forgetting the main kid's name, um, the actor. But uh, uh, Lucas Hedges plays his older brother. And um, Catherine Waterston plays his mother. Wow. Uh, Sonny Suljic but um yeah it is mentioned that like because like at the beginning of the movie it's like lucas hedges characters like 17th birthday or something
1: mm-hmm.
0: and captain waters says you know on on my 17th birthday i was nursing you or whatever so okay. like there's a reference to like yes she's a very young got it uh, young mother um but yeah uh i really enjoyed it it's also um It flies by. I mean, it's like, I'm looking at it. It's 86 minutes. 86 86 minutes of just listening to great music is reason enough to to recommend the movie in the first place, but it's also got uh, a ton of great performances. And the other, like the other skaters are also really good. Like when it has, it has like sort of coming of age, like tropes where there's like the one boy in this group of skaters who like actually has a good head on his shoulders, like is actually thinking about like using this, skateboarding thing to like he wants to get better he wants to go pro he wants to get himself out of his situation and he's like a mentor but the movie never breaks the that 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 illusion of like uh, like this is still he's still a minor like sure he doesn't have all the answers he's not some wise sage because he happens to be two and a half years older than this kid it, you know it's it doesn't forget that he's also dumb and irresponsible and has some uh poorly thought out life philosophies but he still fills that role within this more naturalistic uh setting
1: anyway i really liked it all right uh, next for me is a film that i reviewed uh for battleship pretension you can find my review on there and that is trent o'donnell's ride the eagles starring jake johnson susan saran and darcy Cardin, and jk simmons um hell of a cast there yeah and uh they're all very good the movie it's it's an imperfect movie and it really there's a lot of stuff there that we've seen before it does have sort of the sort of the quirky indie kind of vibe and yet uh, much to my surprise, I really enjoyed it. And I really felt invested. And I think a lot of that is due to Jake Johnson, who not only, uh, is the lead, but also co-wrote it. And so you can tell he feels passionately about the, about the subject matter. He plays a a guy who is, you know, he's in his thirties. He's part of a, he's part of a band, but he's the oldest member of the band. Um, and he's, he's not necessarily a loser either. Like you, it would be easy kind of to kind of paint him as that, but he's fairly happy with his life and uh, and has a certain degree of confidence. And his mother played by Susan Sarandon has died of cancer and she essentially abandoned him many years ago. You don't really know what relationship if any, they've had since she left when he was a teenager. Um, But she essentially left him a cabin, uh, provided he do like this list of, of things. And so it's like, all right, it's kind of quirky, kind of strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, 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 the core of it is Jake Johnson's character. And this idea that he openly admits that he does not feel anything for her. And he knows he probably should, but he doesn't. And you're not, you don't really get the impression that he's repressing either. It really does to him feels like i'm i'm mourning a stranger and i guess i'm mourning the relationship we didn't have but i've done that already so now i like he can't muster up tears nor is he really trying and i think there there's something refreshing in that obviously there's still grieving there there's still loss there but it's not a situation where there's like this deep intense emotional repression underneath everything. He's pretty much at peace with the role that his mom has played or rather not played in his life. Um, And the fact that she's now officially gone doesn't really make that much difference day to day. Um, And so watching that unfold and watching him come to turn come, you know, sort of be at peace with that fact is something I feel like I haven't really seen before, certainly in these types of movies that can be like quirky or whatever. Um, and then uh, along the way, he reconnects with an old girlfriend played by Darcy Carden from the good place. And as great as this cast is, I feel like she unsurprisingly if you've watched the good place she is like the mvp uh the two of them are never in the same room they only ever speak on the phone and yet they have tremendous chemistry she is charming as hell um and the film it made me laugh a few times but the rest of the time it just it it settles into a very uh a very relaxing rhythm so it's not necessarily it's not going to like Blow the doors off. It's not gonna, you know, shake you up or anything like that. It is a often predictable, but still a very enjoyable and occasionally emotionally engaging film. And so, I would recommend it. Not necessarily highly. I get on Letterboxd. I gave it three and a half out of five stars. Um, certainly, at looking at like uh, other critics, some of them straight up, just don't like it. Uh, but I, myself kind of, I enjoy the pacing. I enjoy the tone of it. And, uh, so if that kind of thing sounds good to you, I think you would, uh, you should uh, check it out. Ride the Eagle.
0: Uh, all right. Did you know Darcy Carden? you know, her name is D apostrophe RC. Yes. Um, that's not her birth name. Her birth name is just Darcy. She just added that apostrophe to sort of like spruce it up, stage it up a little bit.
1: That seems off-putting to me. I'm not sure why. (laughs) Uh, I like it. Name's already Darcy. Like, it's not a common name. Yeah. Uh, You know what? uh, Don't see this movie. (laughs)
0: Uh, All right. Don't get too comfortable, because I can't talk too long about this. I saw another run-of-the-mill bio doc, um, and I went to see it because um, it was like a, an outdoor screening downtown at the, um, by like the, uh, the the music center um, downtown uh, in like a plaza. I'm glad we went to see it, but it was a, it's a documentary called Ailey directed by Jamila Wignot. And it's uh, about Alvin Ailey, the dancer and founder of Alvin Ailey's American dance company. Um, Corey, a very incredibly influential choreographer. I'm not saying this, I want to make it clear to the listener that I, the things I'm saying are things I learned from the documentary. Okay. I maybe, I maybe knew the name Alvin Ailey and knew that it was related to dance beforehand, but I didn't know his, his, his story. Um, but uh, uh, yeah. So if you want to learn about the life of Alvin Ailey, this is a compact, you know, a way of doing it in an hour and 45 minutes or whatever. That's, that's the purpose of serves i'm not sure that i can speak that much to the artistry of the documentary or that i mean i could speak to it because i saw the movie i don't think i have much glowing that many glowing things to say about the artistry of the movie it's just pretty much a straightforward uh, educational type of uh, film to me um i'll say it did serve <coughs> the purpose that i went to see, not only went to see this uh, went to this outdoor screening together and we did both walk away going like we should go to like dance performances like the footage you see of people like dancing is like super cool it's it's like a it's a it's an art form that i don't think about very often especially i don't think about it as like an option but yeah like we live in the second biggest city in the country a, a cultural center we have the opportunity to go see professional dancers like why are we not doing that so i guess i would say the movie or at least the uh, choice to uh, screen it in the location that they did, you know, next to next to the building where we might go see these sort of dance things mm-hmm. it did serve a purpose. Maybe I'll go, you know, uh, maybe I'll go see more professional modern
1: dance. OK, so I mean, it, even if the film is fine at best, like it, it did accomplish something which is get, to sort of not fall in love, but like in, be intrigued by its subject matter. But when I think
0: about something like Vim Vendor's movie, Pina, about the dancer, sure. Pina, uh, some of the W, I can't yeah. remember, um, that accomplishes that and is also a good right work of film on its own. Be- partially because, like I always say with bio docs about musicians, like sometimes I just want to hear the whole song. And that's what Pina does. It's like there are interviews and then you see like a full or at least a very long excerpt of, of a dance. That's what's so great about Pina. I wish I kind of wish I was able to see more Alvin Ailey choreographed dances or just him in his younger days, him dancing himself. I I wish there were more footage of that, less interviews with the people who knew him because that makes it feel a little bit like, I'm going to use this in the old timey, the, the, the pre-Golden
1: age sense. It makes it feel a little bit more like TV. <laughs> and, you know, this, we've said this before, though. I don't think we've said it in a while, that like that is one of the pitfalls of the documentary is that sometimes the subject can be so inherently interesting that the director forgets to make the movie interesting. And they mm-hmm. kind of confuse the two. They simply right. don't screw it up, but that's not the same as yeah. really making yeah. it great. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at bite.com. That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Um, okay, so I saw my next movie is James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, which I wouldn't say I enjoyed immensely, but I enjoyed a lot of it quite oh. a bit. Okay. Um, it does have that, I mean, it's it's got... That sense of James Gunn zaniness and certainly his love of gore, um, and it has a really nice ensemble, a lot of good chemistry between the actors, uh, and I also like the way the story unfolds. I think maybe it gets a little, it sags a bit in the middle, but even then, the the cast sort of carries you through, and I think that's the key: is that this is it's not a story movie. It's, I mean, from an action standpoint, some of the action sequences are fun, but it's not an action movie either. Like, it really is an ensemble war movie slash comedy. Um, and you've got, you know, Margo Roby and Idris Elba and John Cena and uh, Joel Kinnaman and David Dustmalshian, who I'll talk about in a moment. It's got a great cast. And they all do. A, I don't think of Idris Elba as a particularly comedic actor, but he does a a really good job, not only being the lead of the film and sort of carrying the ensemble, but also being very funny within that. John Cena is this character. Peacemaker uh, is sort of a, a, a ridiculous character who occasionally has moments of humanity and he sells those too. Like there's just, it is that, that James Gunn thing where st- it it would be so if you just turn it up a little bit, it just becomes completely ridiculous to the point of not feeling fully engaged or at least invested, but he doesn't quite do that. He knows sort of how to modulate things so that you do still feel invested in these characters and in their relationships with one another. Uh, that said it, it is also kind of over the top at times and it probably could stand to be a little bit shorter. Um, because it does any movie like this that goes on too long and it has that heightened tone can feel a little bit like overkill. Um, but it is uh, it, it was an enjoyable, it was an enjoyable movie. I certainly liked it more than the the first one, uh, but that was also a very compromised film. Whereas this, they clearly just let James Gunn go with whatever he wanted to do and he did it. Um, and uh, yeah. And I mentioned David Desmalchian who plays the much maligned DC character polka dot man and the way they write that character and the way he plays him takes the jokiness of the character and makes it tragic and i think does it totally organically and lastly i'll just say man viola davis can do no wrong as an actress i again like she was in the the first suicide squad and i didn't like that movie very much but i thought she was great and just If you need someone to be just an immovable object, Mm. whether it be Ma Rainey or even her short, her short little uh, screen time in out of sight. Right. Like she just conveys a certain kind of toughness while still allowing herself when the part requires it uh, to be vulnerable. And here she plays uh, Amanda Waller, who is this tough as nails, you know, unflinching to the degree that the film has a villain, it's probably her. Uh, and she hits it out of the park. I love watching her in basically anything. Um, and uh, yeah. So, you know what, in retrospect, as I'm talking about it now, I think I probably did like the movie more than the little three star rating that I've given it here uh, on uh, once again on letterbox. And so uh, it is something that <clears throat> I don't know if it'd be for everyone, but if you liked slither and if you liked super so take some of those sensibilities with the ensemble aspect of Guardians of the Galaxy and you have Suicide Squad and I think it, it blends together pretty well.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, I think I'm like, I'm still... The uh, the R-rated superhero movie still seems so strange to me, but I liked... But that's, what, that's funny because it wasn't strange when like Blade and Blade 2 were out. Yeah. But I guess I just got so used to superhero movies being pg-13 that like i don't know i liked birds of prey but i also went into Birds of Prey not knowing it was rated r and being very like surprised by the
1: violence in oh yeah and i Bird guess it was wasn't it i didn't yeah i didn't remember that um i think r-rated superhero movies they're now so they're so self-consciously r-rated you know what i mean like whereas with blade it was like oh we're doing this vampire thing and yeah it's just, it's a comic book but it's a very dark comic book so let's just make yeah. it rated r like it wasn't even even though there were superhero movies at the time and most of them are pg-13 like it wasn't such a set thing that the r rating was was like a card that the that they could play as far right. as marketing whereas now because of deadpool and logan and stuff like that the the r-rated movie uh, it's just like oh this is how you know it's it's like a real thing um maybe the reason- James gun takes advantage of the r rating but uh but i understand your suspicion I and mean, maybe the reason that i'm
0: the, the the I'm still like weirded up by them is because I haven't other than Birds Birds of Prey might be the only only one I've seen after the things you hmm. just named I haven't seen any of those so maybe I just need to spend more time watching already superhero movies I don't know uh, I think you're fine yeah don't
1: maybe I think I've you seen... I think you would like this one
0: okay all right final movie for me a movie that I really wanted to like and there are things about it that I very much do like uh, Todd Stevens Swan Song okay uh, this is a movie in which uh. Udo Kier plays mm-hmm. a um former uh uh hairdresser. He was like sort of the go-to society hairdresser um for the uh the the movers and shakers uh, uh in Sandusky, Ohio. Um but we meet, meet him, it's present day, his glory days are in the past, he's living in a, a very much like a, a sort of budget nursing home or a budget retirement community um but uh he gets sort of called back into duty and spends a day revisiting his old haunts in 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 Sandusky and um Udo Kier is amazing in the movie he's fantastic sure. it's a it's he's such a character actor type like i'm i'm trying to, there aren't that many movies where he's the lead um and uh, uh I, I really like him in uh, in this and he's especially like this is a guy who is like you know he's played a lot of villains and stuff in in, in in american movies and here he's like using that same sort of like that that uh that face that says a lot with very little expressions and those like withering like eyes those stares that he's known for to play like kind of a Bitchy queen, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, he's he's very, uh, uh, he's, he's very. Uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? That uh, um, uh, uh, there's a word that I'm looking for that I can't that I can't think of. He's there's a theatricality. It's not the word I'm looking for. Another sure. word. Um, there's, there's a theatricality to to the way that he moves the way he carries himself, even when he's like dressed in like stained sweatshirts and wearing Velcro sneakers, he's still hmm. like regal in a in a way, almost. Um and I like that uh, a lot, but it's uh and I like that uh so Todd Stevens he wrote a movie called The Edge of Seventeen, not the Haley Steinfeld movie, but the movie from the nineties called The Edge of Seventeen, right. which is a uh a gay so, coming of age movie. Right. That's um also I can, set. i can picture shot. the dvd yeah. art because uh when i worked at blockbuster um it's also set and shot in sandusky and then he wrote a director movie called gypsy 83 that is also set and shot at least partially in sandusky when they go to new york city and this movie is set and shot entirely in sandusky and i kind of there's a part of me that just like really respects that that this guy is like dedicated to making movies about like outcasts and gay kids and weirdos in his hometown, you know, like yeah. um, you, he's, there's a sort of like giving a voice, giving justice to, to that uh, sort of community that I really like. But I just think there's a reason that Edge of 17 is the best of those three movies. I think it's because he didn't direct it. I think um, mm. visually his choices are often um, incredibly obvious in their framing and not necessarily like pleasant to look at. There's a lot of like a conversation is happening between Udo, Udo Kier and like, say like a clerk at a gas station. And it's like, there's no over the shoulders. It's just like straight on, straight on, like and going back and forth between those two. It's kind of like efficient in a way that isn't always enjoyable and kind of makes a movie that isn't very long, uh, feel a bit longer than it should. And then there are also just like characters of convenience. Like you've got Jennifer Coolidge, who's so great, but she plays like his former assistant who then started her own like salon and took all his clients. And so then there's right. this, like bad blood, but she's just there to like serve that part, that narrative purpose. And there's not like you got Jennifer Coolidge, have her do something yeah big, you know, but it's, uh, uh, that's kind of a, a waste. And you've got, um, Linda Evans, who's like a name that I only know as a former soap star. Um, yeah, yeah but basically she's uh her character's dead the, her death is what kicks off the the plot but we she plays the character in flashbacks um those are kind of your three main uh stars uh, of the movie and there's just like as a vehicle for as an unexpected vehicle for Udo Kier it's I'm glad it exists I just wish there were maybe a little more like finesse to the way the yeah. movie is shot and the way the story unfolds like there's oh yeah there's a whole thing where they're like it turns out the day he happens to be in town is the last day that the the gay bar in Sandusky is going out of business that night and like okay that's a narrative coincidence that you know the movies are built around that but yeah the the problem is that the movie introduces the gay bar and Udo Kier's like connection to its history and then immediately it's like right. oh wow, this this is a symbol for all this. Oh and it's also a symbol for all of like the, the way the time movies moves on. It's just like it all happens too suddenly.
1: Yeah. It's it's just there there's a I wish the movie could be finessed a little more. You know, uh, and I know we don't have a great deal of time, but uh, you were mentioning like the way that that the film was shot and specifically with framing. And it's interesting. I was uh, recently reading uh, some comments that Brad Pitt made about um, being in the movie Troy. And even though he's very complimentary of director Wolfgang Peterson, he said that one thing that bothered him about the movie is that he was always framed like in the dead center. Like it was always like a medium shot or a close up, and it's always him right in the middle as though just like, they're just constantly trying to convey to you, this is our hero. Like every shot was the hero shot. And that, you know, that was what, 2004, 2003 ish. And he was talking about how like by that time he had worked with Fincher a couple of times and Soderbergh. And seeing what directors could do with the camera and do with framing where, yes, the actor is in it. And yes, it is, uh, you know, the the shot is ostensibly focused on the character, but through placement and framing, it's so it's about so much more than just the character. And I remember that thinking that I I just read this like a couple days ago. And I remember thinking like, that's very interesting that an actor would have that opinion. Like you would think that an actor would be like, Hey, yeah, absolutely. I I put on a lot of muscle to play uh, this character in Troy and I want to be front and center, but I I think he recognized
0: Brad Brad? Pitt, like Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, like Tom Cruise is one of those actors who recognizes that The only only way they look good is if the movie is good.
1: Yes. Yes. And uh, and so, yeah, that idea, it just seems like and again, nothing against nothing against Wolfgang Peterson. Obviously, he's he's made some really wonderful movies. Um, But yeah, just that idea of, well, let's just, you know, let's perfectly light this, uh, let's perfectly light our subject and put them right in the middle because that's our subject. So what else would we do? Um, is something that, uh, that I definitely think I would have thought to do back in film school. Um, but yeah, as you, you come to realize as, as you recognize that film is about so much more than just the characters on screen and even the story, uh, that, that there's a technical, or as you say, like a, a formal side to it that like, yeah, it doesn't you know perfectly exposed and right in the middle is not is actually the least interesting thing you could do yeah um anyway
0: speaking of tom cruise by the way uh i just want to get this out because i will forget it by the time of the next tv journal but okay. the most recent episode of ted lasso has a little joke about the confusion a character references the movie where tom cruise has a ponytail and he meant the last samurai but the person thought he meant magnolia um, okay. And it occurred to me that uh, Tom Cruise also has a ponytail in Interview with a Vampire. It's like that's like a you could uh, you could program a little trilogy there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Tom Cruise ponytail movies.
1: And he has I don't know if he ever does a ponytail in Mission Impossible Two, but I know his hair is longer. Oh, he does have longer one. hair in that one. Yeah, because um, I guess it would be in between Magnolia and Last Samurai. Yeah, he just didn't want to cut his hair. Just didn't want to cut it like Samson. <laughs> He thought it, uh, it would, you know, he'd lose his strength
0: Yeah, Um, or like Cesar Romero and the mustache. Exactly.
1: Exactly. He's like, just paint over it. It's fine. Yeah. Um, okay. So my last film is a movie that you've seen, uh, and that you love and I love as well. It is Josh Greenbaum's Barb and star go to Vista Del Mar. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's our kind of comedy, David. It's... uh, It's wholly original. It's not based on anything. It would seem to just make fun of a certain type of person, which is like a Midwestern middle-aged woman, white woman. Uh, And yet they cannot hide their obvious affection for these characters. And it makes for (coughs) a film that I laughed out loud often while also being oddly invested in not the story certainly, but their relationship with each other, and and the their relationship with uh, Jamie Dornan, who is del- who's just delightful. He's so uh, great film uh, and has he has great chemistry. All three of them have great chemistry with each other, um, and yeah, uh, I just I, um, I just love it so much.
0: Speaking of TV shows, I've been watching uh, for the TV Journal on. Uh... On the Patreon, Patreon.com slash Battleship Retention. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can hear me talk more about these shows. But yeah, I was watching the new season of Never Have I Ever, and there's a part where Davy, the main character, realizes that like all of her friends are paired up and like in re- in mm-hmm. relationships. And I immediately thought of Jamie Dornan saying, "Like all I see are official couples." <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah and just and you know he has these nice these nice musical moments where he's dancing in a silly way down the beach because it's impossible to dance well on the beach (laughs) because it's you know because of the sand and stuff um but yeah it's and you know what It, it reminds me in a lot of ways of like a um like a david wayne um kind of comedy where not all the bits worked for me like the Morgan Freeman crab is amusing, certainly, but I am just like, ah, Morgan Freeman, like, do we really, that feels like a well that yeah. has been gone to too often. I, and yes, it's a it's a crab. So it does make it kind of funny. And but... I do
0: think it's funny that the the crab's name is Morgan Freeman.
1: <laughs> okay. Yes. That, that I thought was funny. I, that That got me. But so, you know, it's just like, so <laughs> as the case with most comedies that I really like, not everything works they throw everything at the wall and most of it sticks not all of it um but uh but yeah i laughed quite a bit because it's just so unapologetically silly and And you know what? I I have no doubt that there probably was a fair amount of improvisation. And yet somehow it didn't feel like that to me, partially because they're improvising in character. And I think that as opposed to just so often, as as you and I have talked about, especially, you know, with with some of these same uh, performers, they'll 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 ad lib and they'll improv uh, on set. And it suddenly feels as though the actors are are improvising and the characters are nowhere near the frame here uh kristen wig and uh annie is it mumolo i don't know if that's i do how, you, know say how you say it yeah. um but the way that they improvise with each other they they both have such a handle on their characters and their characters relationship to each other that when they when they're launching into trish and who trish must be uh It feels like, even though I know objectively, it probably is improvised, it feels so planned out at the very least that these characters have really thought it through. Um, and, uh, yeah, I I could see this kind of, this kind of silly comedy, not necessarily being for everybody, um, it certainly was for me uh and i think when you talked about i think you compared it to to austin powers and i'd say that's right not merely because our lead actress plays both the hero and villain but also uh just in just in its willingness to be completely absurd uh and just sacrificing logic for the sake of a single gag uh it reminds me of that and that's that's high praise in my opinion yeah don't
0: don't remember don't keep the steering wheel too straight lots of little (laughs) motions left (laughs) and right
1: Uh, oh man (laughs) that that is and that is such an austin powers thing the idea of like who would have thought that uh you know great britain could look like southern california oh you know just little references to filmmaking itself oh um, Man, it's so the good.
0: part because I've watched it twice now. The part uh that I really laughed at the second time is um <laughs> I had to look up the actor's name because I just know him as the guy from 40 year old virgin, but Jerry Bednob is his name, and he's the manager at the motel, not the hotel. And he's like, Yes, yes are you gonna you're gonna need towels? Okay. <laughs> sheets? Yeah, we're gonna need sheets. Okay, but no pillows.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's uh it's uh a negotiation and just, and I did like the, like, there is part of me that's just like, I would have loved if they had this huge musical introduction to this hotel and then just literally never got to stay there. (laughs) Um, I I think I would have liked that, but I do also like that they wind up back there just because it's, you get a a sense of place. So it's a fun location. Yeah. And it's a fun location. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I highly recommend if you like, Good old fashioned, silly comedy. Barb and star go to Vista Del Mar.